Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tortoise. Hello, it's Claudia here, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot him. Uh, foot, foot. During his three years in power, President Biden has accumulated a history of moments. We also need Ukraine to make changes to fix the broken immigration system here. We also need Congress to make the changes to fix the broken immigration system here at home. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or 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 Britney's tour. She's down in it's kind of warm in Brazil right now. And always one moon like a silent drum tapping at every rooftop. And every window on every in, of every county, country. Let me start this over again. He's been forgetful, fragile, even frail, and that's not just personally, but politically too. Right now, his polling numbers are low, and it's got Democrats worried because it looks like Donald Trump might just win this year's U.S. election and return as president. I have to admit, it is all beginning to feel a little bit like one of those cheap sequels that studios rush out to capitalise on a trend. But for many Democrats, 2024's US election has the potential to be the most consequential one since the American Civil War. The entire republic is at stake. And so there is a question going around the Democrat camp. Should Joe Biden be their presidential candidate? My colleague Giles Buttel has been speaking to both Republicans and Democrats to work out what exactly is going on behind the scenes of the President Biden operation to find out what this next instalment holds in store. The voice you're about to hear is that of Dean Phillips, a Democratic congressman from Minnesota. He's unelectable. He's talking about Joe Biden. I mean, the data is showing every single poll coming out right now, everyone is showing him falling further behind, his approval numbers at historic lows, and I'm trying to generate a wake-up call to Democrats that we have a real problem here. 
Dean Phillips is running for President of the United States, against Biden. To be clear, they're both Democrats. Phillips says Biden is delusional to think he can beat Donald Trump again. And that's what the country is saying in every single poll. And if we don't wake up soon, we're going to be in for a tragedy. And this time we know it. 2016, we couldn't believe it. This time we better believe it. You may not have heard of Dean Phillips, but that's okay. The leadership of the Democratic Party wants to make sure there's no need to have heard of him. They want to shut him down, end his campaign, erase him from the political landscape before it's too late. In 10 months, Americans vote. It will be the most consequential, the most polarizing, the most terrifying election, pick your cliche, they're all true, in at least a generation. In fact, in longer than that. The downside risk of losing is the greatest that we've seen in this country since our civil war. Matt Bennett is co-founder of Third Way, a progressive think tank in Washington. But don't take his word for it. We have never faced a situation where there is a, a candidate who is facing 91 criminal counts. Here's Sidney Blumenthal, an old friend of the Clintons and a pillar of the Democratic establishment. Just in case there's any doubt, he's talking about Donald Trump. A candidate facing numerous criminal trials, including overthrowing the government of the United States, and who has explicitly stated that he will overthrow the Constitution. He has said that. He has stated that explicitly. So the Constitution is directly on the ballot here. Even in 1860, it did not seem as ominous. Well-connected Democrats, they would say that sort of thing, wouldn't they? And yet, it's hard to argue with them on the basics. The stakes are high for American democracy in November 2024. And it doesn't make them any lower that the person in the frame to save the American Republic is the incumbent. President Biden essentially has already publicly admitted, he said the quiet part out loud, which is that he would not be running for re-election to a second term if it weren't for the prospect of Donald Trump returning to the Oval Office. Susan Glasser writes the New Yorker's weekly letter from Washington. Joe Biden, whether you agree with him or not, seems to really personally and deeply believe that he is the one who is the proven Trump killer, that he is the guy who can defeat Donald Trump because he's the only one who has done so. Unfortunately for Biden, the polls over the last year have pretty much eliminated that argument. Late last year, a well-known Republican strategist came to London to speak at a forum we hosted. It was off the record, so I can't really name him, but we'll call him Carl. I don't think he'll mind. Carl is not a Trumper, far from it. But he has no doubt that a second Trump presidency is now entirely plausible. Asked how it comes about, he said, quote, if Joe Biden is the Democratic candidate, end quote. Back in the States a few days later, Carl held up a whiteboard that he'd prepared for Fox News. It was based on a recent New York Times poll. It showed Biden trailing Trump in five key states, 
by 4% overall. For good measure, Biden trailed Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, by 8%. And he trailed a generic Republican candidate, that is, any plausible conservative, by 16%. Of course, we shouldn't attach too much importance to polls a year out from an election, but still. According to that snapshot, Biden wasn't just heading for defeat against Trump. Even if the Republicans changed their candidate, no matter who the new one was, he was still heading for defeat. And Carl wasn't the only former Republican operative taking a good look at Biden's numbers. Everybody we talk to, every political discussion, all uh, it, it talks a lot about Trump. But when it comes to Joe Biden, people say, man, he's too old to run, isn't he? I mean, he's not going to he's not really going to run every discussion. When I say every discussion, I don't mean 99 percent of the discussion. Every discussion. We got it. Joe Scarborough is a former congressman who now hosts Morning Joe on the very Democrat-friendly MSNBC news channel. So, you know, we often will complain about Republicans who will say one thing about Donald Trump off the air and another on air. Well, let me just say Democrats off the air will say Joe Biden's too old. Why is he running? On the air, they won't say that. Before that, David Axelrod, once Barack Obama's chief strategist, did go public with a strong hint that Biden should think again about running. And after that, Biden's polls just kept on getting worse. A Bloomberg survey showed him lagging Trump by four points or more in six swing states that he won in 2020. A Wall Street Journal poll last month showed Biden behind Trump nationally by four points and scoring worse by wide margins on the economy and inflation. Now, just for the record, US inflation has fallen by two-thirds since 2022. Unemployment is at 3.7%, which is almost as low as it has been since the 1960s. Here's Matt Bennett again. There's a term that is used in American politics called the misery index. It was coined by an economist in the 1960s, and it simply uh, combines the inflation rate, the CPI, with the unemployment rate. Goldman Sachs projects that the misery index will be 6.6% next year, which is the lowest ever recorded. There has never been such low unemployment and low inflation ever. And yet, 52% of Americans trust Trump with the economy, compared with 35% who'd rather go with Biden. I once interviewed Trump for The Times at one of his Scottish golf clubs. It was three days after the UK's EU referendum. Trump said he'd predicted the Leave campaign would win, which was a lie. He said the EU would collapse, which it didn't. He said he had plans for ISIS, which would make your head spin, which, in fairness, turns out to have been largely true. Trump was on his best behaviour that day. Rupert Murdoch was next door most of the time, and for some of the interview, he was actually in the room. Trump needed to make sure News Corp was on his side for the 2016 campaign that he was about to fight against Hillary Clinton. So, he was congenial and attentive. He even tolerated questions about his hair. But my main memory is that the golf club setting was appropriate. He was a golf club bore, feigning knowledge about things he didn't really know about, especially Europe. Afterwards, he set off on a golf buggy to the 13th tee with Murdoch and Murdoch's then-wife, Jerry Hall, 
there was a photo op, and the rest, in a sense, is history. But what if it's not just history? What if it's also a prelude to Act Two? The second term of Donald Trump is is quite likely to be very, very different than the first term of Donald Trump in a ways that I think people are just starting to fully appreciate and to absorb. Susan Glasser knows Trump a lot better than I do. She's co-author with Peter Baker of The Divider, a book on his first term. And she is not sanguine about Act Two. I would say there are three major differences. Number one, of course, and this is really the most important, is personnel. Personnel is policy. Uh, In the former Soviet Union, there was the Stalin phrase, the cadres decide everything. And I think that's, that's very much true. Donald Trump feels that he was hemmed in and constrained uh, by many of those he appointed. He did not come to Washington with a full slate of Trumpists uh, to install at senior positions. And instead, he had people like Jim Mattis, his first defense secretary, or Rex Tillerson, his first secretary of state, John Kelly, his longest serving chief of staff. These folks came from the American national security and the business establishment. And in the end, Trump viewed them as a hindrance who were there in many ways explicitly seeking to stop his agenda. He won't make that mistake again. Difference number two is time. Team Trump had no time to craft an agenda in 2016. This time, they've had plenty. And number three, and I think this is also very, very important, Donald Trump is in a a kind of a spiral of escalation. And, you know, the television showman in him, you know, he needs to do more and more outrageous things in order to keep the adoring audience that he kind of thrives on and lives for. 
the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts. What if Carl is right? That the way that happens, the way Trump turns his poll leads into a return to power in November, is if Biden, now aged 81, is the Democratic candidate. Well, in principle, there's still a window for the Democrats to try to stop that happening by changing their candidate. There are two broadly speaking ways that that could happen. One is that somebody could mount a successful challenge to a sitting president. It seems very unlikely that that's going to happen. And in fact, Dan Baer is a former U.S. ambassador and Democratic candidate for Congress. The alternative to running against a sitting president would be for him to, for some reason, decide to step aside. And if he decided to step aside, um, if he made a decision to step aside at some point, my understanding is that it's kind of a rolling timeline. If a big if, Biden were to step aside, party bosses at the state level might even now shift deadlines for their primary elections to give alternative candidates a chance to build a base of delegates before the party convention in the summer. Or they might not. The smart money in this unlikely scenario is that the party would revert to ancient practice pre-TV. The conventions used to be, actually, for a long time, it was kind of, you know, smoke-filled rooms where, where candidates would have to convince enough delegates to kind of vote for them to put them at the top of the ticket. There's a term for this, a brokered convention. It would be a free-for-all. Horse trading between candidates and delegates and party leaders for as long as it took to produce white smoke. With a gigantic media circus feeding off every minute of it. There's no legal reason why this shouldn't happen again, and there's no shortage of potential candidates. Besides Pete Buttigieg, who ran in 2020 and is now Biden's transportation secretary, there are at least three popular Democrat state governors who could, in principle, mount bids for the nomination. They include Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, J.B. Pritzker of Illinois, and Gavin Newsom of California. But will they? In practice, the short answer is no. A lot of Democrats have engaged in wishful thinking throughout the year of 2023, a year of difficulty for Biden and the Democrats. This is Sidney Blumenthal again on the illusion of choice. The problem the Democrats have, some people have referred to it as bedwetting. I refer to it as a Baskin-Robbins problem. That's the ice cream a shop in the uh, U.S. where they've got as many flavors as in the rainbow. And you can choose your flavor. And Democrats may want another flavor, even if they like Biden. But the answer is, there's only one flavor in this shop. There's only Joe Biden. The Iowa caucuses are next week. It is too late for a serious primary challenge. The big-name alternatives to Biden, the Whitmers and the Pritzkers, are actually not alternatives to Biden. They're waiting for 2028. And that leaves only the Biden withdraws scenario. How confident is Matt Bennett that this won't happen? 
100% certain with the caveat that any of us could be felled by life at any moment. And look, are his odds of a health problem higher than they would be if you were younger? Of course they are. But actuarially speaking, if you get to 80 as a healthy person now, you are very likely to get to 90 as a healthy person. So I think unless there's an undiagnosed health problem that he is facing or there's some exogenous event, he will be the nominee of our party. Is this confidence or panic masquerading as confidence? I mean, I was just at a dinner the other night with a very prominent Democratic congressman. And the entire conversation, as you might imagine, was every single person saying, is it going to be OK? Is it going to be OK? What's he like in person? And Susan Glasser tells a revealing story. I would say this is someone who's a supporter of Joe Biden, who was not trashing him, who was uh, saying that, you know, he finds him in meetings and in person to be very still in command and, and, and running things and not visibly diminished uh, in that way, he is obviously publicly diminished, you know, in the sense of being able to forcefully project an image and to communicate this kind of strength that, that Trump and others hold up as the kind of archetype of, archetype of presidential leadership. But, you know, was this congressman hypocritical, you know, and sort of trashing Biden off the record while praising him on the record? No, not really. But there's no question I've had many conversations, not just this one, over the last few months with very senior Democratic types in private off-the-record settings in which they are deeply concerned, not only about the party's prospects, uh, but if anything, more concerned about Biden than about the party's prospects. And remember what Joe Scarborough said about Democrats who say one thing in public and another in private. Well, he's right. There are Biden supporters close to the campaign to re-elect him who are saying even now that they expect him to withdraw. The stakes are so high and the poll numbers aren't improving so someone else has to be given a clear shot while there's still time to craft a message and put it to the people. That's the argument. And there's only one thing wrong with it. No one actually named Biden is making it. And... If you're not named Biden, you don't get a say. Matt Bennett says there may be only three people in the world who could persuade the president to stand down. They are the president, his wife, Jill Biden, and Valerie Biden, Joe's 78-year-old younger sister. Valerie is very influential in Biden's world. She has run his campaigns since he was 29 years old. And while there are signs of deep frustration in the family with the way the polls are trending, there is no sign that Valerie is advising her brother to quit, nor that he wants to. People who've spent time with him recently say he's convinced he's the only person who can be relied on to beat Trump. And that counts for something for the simple reason that he is president. The convention that an incumbent runs again is strong. The last person to break with it was Lyndon Johnson in 1968. So it shouldn't be surprising that despite his age, despite the stakes, in fact, because of the stakes, Biden's team is doubling down on the idea that he's the man. What is surprising is the message discipline among his outriders. Dean Phillips, the Minnesota congressman, and David Axelrod, the former Obama strategist. These guys, so far, are the exception. The rule 
is to stick to talking points that will probably become very familiar over the next few months. In the course of making this podcast, I counted at least six of them. Point one. Early polls are a referendum on the incumbent. The election, by contrast, will be a choice. And not just any choice, Matt Bennett says. What we are going to need to make sure people understand is they don't get to choose a young person. They're choosing between two old people. They may not like that, but that is the fact. And do they want somebody who has aged into wisdom and experience and relationships and empathy, or do they want somebody who has aged into chaos and narcissism and cruelty? Is it the grumpy old man or the wise old man? And I think they're going to choose the right one. Point two. The election will also be about the economy, an economy that shows every sign of improving in 2024, thanks largely to the Fed's announcement at the end of last year that it was going to cut interest rates and keep cutting them. Here's Sidney Blumenthal. But this will have a tremendous effect on the election as inflation declines and the public becomes aware that it's declining And as good as the economy is now, with real full employment already at about 4%, and inflation falling, and the markets going up, and conditions improving, and I might note, housing becoming less expensive as the interest rates decline, especially for first-time homebuyers, then it might be said there's a glimmer of mourning in America for Joe Biden. Point three. If it's a Trump-Biden rematch, it's all about the base. On the Biden side of the equation, he's going to be focused on voters of color, suburbanites, and young people to try and keep his coalition together, the same people that voted for him in record numbers in 2020. Kyle Tharp is a writer and researcher who tracks the internet's impact on US politics. Trump is trying to keep his coalition together of diehard MAGA Republicans, maybe people that don't vote every cycle, but were particularly brought into the political process by him. So you're going to see it's going to be all about turning out your own base. I think in that scenario and with those dynamics, Biden has a very clear advantage. Trump has a shrinking base. People after January 6th, started to leave the Republican Party in, albeit small numbers, but people have defected. He is a weaker candidate than he was back then. Point four. Biden doesn't have to sound like Biden. Here's Kyle Tharp again. I've spoken with, you know, the higher reaches of the Biden campaign, with the White House themselves, and they are very spot on to understand that Biden is not always the best messenger for his own message. In fact, they are going to people with large audiences all over the internet to try to engage them to create compelling content on their behalfs. Whether that is a random celebrity cooking influencer with 10 million followers on YouTube or subscribers on YouTube or, you know, a random artist on TikTok with 30 million followers on that platform. That is how Democrats, the Biden campaign, and the White House are all approaching the internet these days, and it's incredibly smart. Point five. The Biden of 2024 is the best Biden. More focused, less garrulous, more effective than the spring chicken Biden who tilted at the presidency in his 40s and 60s 
before finally nailing it in his 70s. And point six, the Biden of 2024 is actually fitter than Trump. This theory holds that with Biden, at least you get what you see, whereas with Trump, you can't believe a word he or his doctor says. Add to all that two separate structural points in Biden's favour. Voters mobilised by the fight for abortion rights since Roe v. Wade was scrapped and the 6% of registered Republicans who say they'll ditch Trump if he's convicted on any of the 91 felony counts he faces in court. And it's not hard to begin to feel almost confident about Joe Biden's chances. Except that almost no one does. I am very nervous. Even if we get a head-to-head race, it will be extremely close. And that is why Matt Bennett is working hard to get Dean Phillips out of the race. In 2020 and in 2016, third parties were very significant. They were significant by their absence in 2020 and and by their presence in 2016. Very underfunded, very uh, obscure candidates like Jill Stein running as a Green Party candidate and Gary Johnson on the Libertarian ticket Uh, probably cost Hillary Clinton the election in 2016. And if they didn't, they came within a few thousand votes of doing so. And so then in 2020, when there were no real third-party candidates on the ticket, it is clear that Biden benefited enormously. By running against Biden, Sidney Blumenthal says, Dean Phillips has, quote, ruined himself in the party for any political future, end quote. On the point that he's making... It is shared by a number of people, but it is something, it is a question that's been settled and will be apparent to people has been settled. Is there a risk? Absolutely. That Joe Biden, as a Democratic candidate, could lose. Any Democratic candidate might lose. If a Democratic candidate loses, the entire republic is at stake and at threat. So uh, the, the stakes here are, are vast. They're everything. The stakes are so high, in fact, that most Democrats we spoke to would rather Biden ran against Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, even though they reckon that, unlike Trump, she would be almost certain to win. Lose to Haley, in other words, and let the Republicans back in for at least four more years under right-wing but broadly sane management, rather than risk another nanosecond with Trump at the controls. That is the prevailing thinking in the party trying to hang on to power in Washington. And it has a name, or at least the mood it springs from does. We'll give Susan Glasser the last word, almost. A few years back, in the middle of the Trump presidency, I did ask my friend Constanza Stelzenmuller from the Brookings Institution. I said, you know, there ought to be one of those long German words for this state of essentially constant uh, worry and fear and and angst about Trump being uh, in in the presidency and, and what will he do next? And, you know, such that we could never just say in the Trump era, well, how are you doing? You have to say, well, under the circumstances, I'm okay, right? That it's it's just one of those constant nagging things that now hangs over us, certainly here in Washington, for those of us whose job it is to pay attention. So 
Constanza said, no, there is no such German word, but I will make one for you. She came back with a 33-letter, very, very German confection, which I will attempt to pronounce for you. I know all the components, but forgive me in advance for my pronunciation. The word that Constanza came up with for me is Trump Regnerung Schlamassel Schmerz. Now, the good news is she told me it's actually okay to shorten it. So the shortened word is one that I think really neatly captures the the moment we're living in in American politics. And the word is Trump Schmerz. And the best antidote the Democrats can come up with, unless something bewildering happens, is Joe Biden. So hang on tight. It's going to be one of those years. Tortoise. I'm James Harding. I'm the editor of Tortoise and the host of The News Meeting. It's the podcast where we try and make sense of what should be leading the news with three people who each come and pitch the story that they think matters the most. On the latest episode, we're joined by the journalist, historian and author Satnam Sangera. Like almost everyone, We go down the rabbit hole of that Princess of Wales photo editing story, and then Satnam explains why he thinks the Church of England paying reparations for its links to slavery should really be leading the news. Just search for Tortoise News wherever you get your podcasts and follow the feed so you don't miss an episode.